0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Um, it's a pleasure for the Business Intelligence and Waterfields Committee to have our second um, uh, session, session meetings, Um, as you would recall we had one about six months ago. Today we'll have two presentations, one done by Louis and one done by myself. Um, For those of you who don't know Louis, he has extensive experience in the reinsurance space, specifically um, in the life insurance area. Having worked with a lot of live data over time, he then started exploring how this data can be used in other ways. And in his presentation today, he'll be taking us through big data and big opportunities, but also grounding us in terms of some of the limitations that we have, both from a skills gap point of view, as well as what are we going to do with all this data. I'm now going to hand over to Louie. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Ashley. Um, I'm going to stand over here. If that is okay, can everybody hear me? Yes. Sir. Is that okay? Because I hate hiding behind a lecture; I get uh, get uh, bored there. Okay, just setting the time. Okay, so I'm going to talk about big data and the opportunities that it represents. Now, um, big data is a bit of a overused term, right? This is a this is a trend analysis of Google searches for the term big data over time. You can see it started off in 2009, 10, 11. Limited use, right? And then it started really gaining traction, becoming a big ticket item, you know, as we went along. Now, um, this is a story told by Google. I'd like to overlay my story on that. We started talking about our, to our clients about big data um, way back then. It was a very uh, un- still, a, still a still a unique little term. Um, I'd like to think that every time we did something, there was a little increase in the trend there. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> So we had a few impacts there. I had a holiday over there, so it took a bit of a dive, the Google search trend there, sorry about that. Um, But I'm hoping today's presentation will charge you and get you excited about the topic, and and not really the term big data, more about data analytics. What can you do with the data that you have, and how can you use it more effectively? Okay, so I have to put this on here because I'm a uh, sort of statistical training by heart, so you can't have, (coughs) given my little trends that I saw there, Um, I used to think correlation implied causation. Then I took a statistics class. Now I don't. Sounds like the class helped. Well, maybe. (laughs) Okay. So that's my stats joke for the day. (laughs) Okay. So that was just the opener. So um, when people talk about big data, they talk about petabytes and petabytes of information. So just to give you a sense of what a petabyte is, just to give you a you know just a slight understanding um, of of what what we're talking about let's talk about petabytes as being roughly equivalent to 40 million filing cabinets filled with text okay that's a lot of stuff Um, another another context is 50 petabytes is roughly the equivalent of all written works by man in all languages okay so when they talk about big data they talk about Google processing in excess of 30 petabytes of data per day so every two days they covered the, all of man's written works in terms of data processing. So that's what, what people generally talk about big data. I'm going to bring it down more to a practical level later, but I'm just going to start with you know, what, what, what we're talking about in big data. So that data is also ex- growing at an ex- exponential rate, it's growing quite rapidly, um, and, and probably the numbers that I quoted just now are probably slightly out of date already. Um, Um, But it's not just coming from IT, it's coming from all sectors of the economy, all industries, of generating these amounts of data. Um, A lot of it is coming from more frequent and more granular information recording done by companies. If you think about uh, uh, paying for something at the cash register, it used to be just printed on that little paper slip and thrown away at the end of the tax year. Nowadays, it's being captured by central databases. All that data is being stored. It's a higher granularity of information being recorded. Tesco estimates that they're doing 1.5 billion data items per month in terms of their data warehousing efforts through all those transactional, those microtransactional data points that they're recording. Um, If you think about insurance, a similar example would be we used to, in the old days, we used to be once a year, premium payment, and maybe that was recorded in a book somewhere. These days, we, we we get call centers, we have interactions on the website. All that information is being captured. So that's the high granularity of information that's being recorded at the moment. Um, use of multimedia is an obvious one generating a lot of the data that we see. If you just think about the hours and hours of a video that's uploaded to YouTube per second, per minute, um, you get a sense of that contributing a lot of the data that that we're talking about. But it's also medical uh, imaging that's also contributing a lot. All those X-rays, all those uh, cardiograms, all those sonar scans, those things take up a lot of petabytes and, and, and that's generating a lot of data. Social media I'll get to in a second. The Internet of Things is another one that's very exciting and interesting, and it relates to the way more and more devices are being connected to the Internet, not just computers. Um, we have the mobile phone, which is kind of like a small, small, simple computer, but we have things like RFID chips that are put on packages that are sent around the world, so you can track that package in real time. We have um, a paper, that's my business card in electronic format. That paper is now connected to the Internet. You scan it, I can track that you picked up my, my business card details. You have... Um, shoes with pedometers built in, you have all those devices that are starting to talk to the internet generating more of this um, data. So that's kind of the explosion of data that everybody talks about that's happening there. Another force that's driving some of this is is what I call the quantified self. This is a brand little website and it has to appeal to all actuaries because their motto is self-knowledge through numbers. Now, Which actuary doesn't like that one? eh? what it's all about is guys are really getting geeked out in terms of tracking themselves and monitoring themselves. And this is a trend that we've seen emerge recently more on the consumer side as wearable tech. This is the Apple Watch. This is the, the Fitbit. This is all the stuff that's coming out now, is generated from this kind of interest. People wanting to know more of themselves. Now these guys take it to the maximum level. They are um, recording their mood every day. They, they're trying to look at correlations about how what you eat affects their mood. How's your work day been? You know, am I more productive on days when I had um, uh, uh, cocoa pops or or, or milipas for breakfast? You know, that, those are the kind of experiments that they're running on themselves in terms of trying to quantify those imp- impacts. The example up there is a guy who's trying to track how much of a day he's actually sitting down working, as opposed to spending in meetings and uh, taking coffee breaks and all that sort of things. And he's trying to improve that for himself. Really geeked up, really committed guy this way. Um, and you can see how he's improved his productivity, daily productivity over a couple of months there. So this is the kind of stuff that these guys play around with. So go look at that, it's quite interesting. This is the consumer side of things. This is what we're we, we starting to see in, in products in terms of these trends. These are uh, polar watches, these are internet connected uh, scales, these are um, uh, uh, contact lenses that monitor your blood glucose. Those sort of things are starting to come out and we're going to end up as insurance companies. Um, my background is life insurance, so I will focus a bit on the insurance side of things. We're going to end up, with, as insurance companies, getting this kind of data, and we, we will need to underwrite. We will need to decide whether the risk is good or bad based on this information that we're receiving. And it's, going to be, it's probably going to swamp us, uh, to be fair, um, if people start submitting their daily uh, weight readings over the last 20 years uh, when we have to underwrite them. How are we going to handle that? You know, you know, that's the sort of things we need to, uh, need to start thinking about. This is another example of a a, a tattoo, it's it's an ECG monitor that's a printer on your skin like an an instant tattoo and it connects to your computer and it'll monitor your ECG and your heart rate and all that sort of things. Those kind of things are coming and they're going to generate data. So that's sort of some of the uh, wearable tech side of Big data that's going to be quite important in, in, in our analysis. Social media is another one that's going to be quite fundamental and it's already becoming quite fundamental. Um, Firstly, it's generating huge amounts of data. Now we all know Facebook's got a billion plus users. Um, They're generating 90 items of content per day on average. That is a huge amount of data information that's being generated. How is that information playing out in, in the way we market to them? How do we contact the right customers based on that information? There are companies that are focused on figuring out which Facebook user is the right one to market to. How are we as insurance companies and, and life insurers and, and, and actuaries in general going to use that information going forward um, and, and of course the, the privacy implications of all that information as well. Um, this is my favorite slide, it talks to two of my favorite uh, topics, it talks to location data and it talks to mobile. This is the log of, of uh, 800 iPhones who were voluntarily submitted their location data from the iPhone over a month to this website. And what you can see is how those iPhones move during the day and, and, and over the course of the week and over the course of the month. And you can see um, this is now lunchtime. In the evening, everything settles down. You can figure out where the guy's staying. So if you knew where the iPhone was at night, you can figure out where the guys Sleeping, you probably get a good idea of the socioeconomic neighborhood the guy lives in. And you can probably tell a lot about a person just by the by the by the place they put their head <laughs> up. Here in the morning you can see where they travel. How do they get to work? Do they take the train? Do they take the car? What does that imply to their risk profile um, and their socioeconomic status? They end up at a job in, in a in a company that's that's based in a in a in a an in a, in a industrial neighborhood, they end up working in a financial district. You can by the location of their daytime. You can see what kind of job they are. Those are like massive opportunities for companies that earn this data already to, to understand the risk and understand the, uh, the lives that, that they're interacting with. I'm, I mean, I'm shuddering <laughs> to think what would happen if Google and Apple decided to launch a life insurance company based on this, because this this is what they see already. So yeah, it's mine. And then the location data, of course, is also one of the most powerful bits of data, because it's is quite small, a smaller volume of data, but it's quite powerful because you can tell a lot from it. And, then the mo- and this is just looking at the location data from the mobiles. Of course, the mobiles know a lot more about you. So That's my views on that. I think gamification is part of this. Um, I see uh, gamification as generating a lot of data. So tr- looking at reward programs, those kind of things, they generate a lot of data points of interactions with your customers. But gamification is also a reward in itself for, for, for giving up data. I think companies are using gamification, reward programs, those sort of things, to gain access to, to data that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to access. And I think gamification in that side is important to both in getting to the data and also generating the data. Okay. So this is sort kind of I've covered all the all the sort of aspects that are sort of involved in generating a lot of this data where this information is coming from. What is happening because of this huge amount of data that's available that people are starting to look at new techniques and perhaps re- looking at old techniques in terms of looking at this data in terms of trying to understand it. So I think there's a couple of um, there's a whole bunch of them on this slide. Um, but I think there's some of them that we as actually can sort of relook at and f- sort of take some take some lessons from my favorite on this one is the A B testing. I don't think we do enough of that. Now, if you think about, you know, asking what is A-B testing, if you go to a news website, um, do you think an editor spends time looking at every single front page and deciding what should be on the front page? Nine times out of ten, it's not. They have experiments. They give different people different front pages and they analyze and they keep revising that analysis to decide what is the, what is the headline that most people are interested in today at this moment, in this hour, at this day of the week, you know, um, on, on a weekend or, 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 a, or a, 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 a weekday. And, and that modeling is what's driving the front page. So, as 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 insurance companies, we can start looking at that and say, well, how can we test things in our in our processes? How can we test which underwriting question is the most efficient? How can we do that? And and, and data and data analytics is the way to support that because you can't have efficient experiments if you don't have the the data backing that. You know, you can't do that experiment if you if you're not tracking the data side of that. Um, other examples is crowdsourcing, that's a fun one, people like to say well how, how do I get people involved in my business and give them, give them input into our business decisions, um, I'm just picking random ones. I've shown you visualisation in terms of, that's a technique where people are trying to summarise all this amount of information and trying to visualise that and I think Ashley will give you some nice ones later on as, as well as examples of that. Um, there's a big McKinsey report, it's, it's a little bit dated, but it still has a lot of relevant points in there. And, and they, they summarise the impact on retail uh, as the following. This is what's, what's going to impact retail margins, and what, what of big data is going to drive retail <coughs> margins. And I think um, this is retail uh, businesses, so you see merchandising there, which is maybe less important to insurance companies, but I think a lot of the points are still valid. In terms of marketing, big data is telling you when a customer is most likely to buy a product, when is he going to lapse it, when is he, going to, uh, when is he keen to buy it. And understanding our customers becoming so important, everybody's talking about customer centricity. And, and data and data analytics is going to be the way to really get there on mass. You can't be individually customer-centric. You really need to find a way to model that behavior and really understand the way your customers are behaving. And I think that's a big big place where our margins can improve, essentially, uh, based on that. Now, merchandising, I don't think many insurance products are on the shelf, though there are a few. Um, there's also um, price transparency is kind of the negative side of this. And it's already emerged in the UK. where. Data, data about prices has already been so um, commoditized that you can go onto a price aggregator's website and you get 10 life insurance quotes off the bat just by logging in and putting your details in there. So that's kind of a negative to the, in the industry where your prices become so transparent that everybody can see and choose the cheapest price immediately. Um, although that's of course a plus on the consumer side. So that's sort of one of the downsides of data and data analytics. I'm going to do a few examples now, just of um, things that I've looked at, um, one or two things that I haven't looked at. Um, these are mainly overseas-based, because show you all the stuff I've done here. Um, but uh, I, ho- I hope you get an idea of the kind of practical things that people are looking at. And you'll find that my talk has now been very big picture, one on the phone. Um, but this is all about looking at the data that you have already. It's not about going to Facebook first. It's going to actually just use the stuff that you have already because a lot of people aren't using that. And I think that's one of our first challenges is to start using the information that we have in an effective manner and to fully exploit that information, exploit in a positive sense, of course, but to fully use that information to both our and our customers' benefit. So that's what I'm going to focus on next. This is an example of of stuff I've done in in the UK where um, I've worked with a a client that's in the UK and I've um, looked at... The postcode of the person, where they live. Right now, I didn't analyse mortality by postcode. I looked at what can I tell based on the person's postcode. He lives in a neighbourhood with a lot of well-educated people. He lives in a neighbourhood with a lot of professional occupations. That's the kind of stuff I looked at. Then I linked that external variable back to the mortality investigation we were doing, linking back to the pricing or the well, the mortality rates and 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 the reinsurance pricing to some extent, and we found that you know. Even just by looking where they stay, we can tell a lot more about them, and we find large variations based on the the characteristics of the neighbourhood in which the person lives. So this is using something that we already have. This is using address, and using that a bit more effectively. And yeah, so that's one of the things we worked on. Then we found large variations in the price, and with the price aggregators there, it is actually quite significant. There's another one in the UK where a client changed the way they underwrote. They changed the information which they asked at the underwriting point in time. So instead of just looking at the, um, instead of just getting a medical report from the doctor, which had about five to 10 questions on it, similar to our short medical report, they sent a request for the whole medical file from the doctor. Now in the UK that's possible because you have National Health and all that stuff, so they got the whole medical file. Every single thing that ever happened to that person. Now, of course, as an underwriter, you're going to be a bit more conservative because now you see every little nook and thing and sore knee and flu and, you know, it's going to drive conservatism in your underwriters. The problem they had was they couldn't tell how much conservatism because other things had changed. The underwriting, the prevalence of smoking has changed the age patterns are changing. So they couldn't tell how much more conservative they were. So we built a model to say, what is the change in decision controlling for all these other health factors that are that are influencing um, their decisions. And we found a very small difference there, it looks very small, but that was giving, and we converted that into a rate discount, we say, well, given that you're being more concerned, we can give you a little bit of a rate discount going forward. And this is kind of a prospective way to, to allow for that change in experience before, before the better experience actually materialised in the, in the mortality investigations after I don't know, a couple of years. This is some of the work that German colleagues of us have done, it's in terms of analysing disability. now. What they, have, what they have is the great advantage in that market where they code your occupation to six, six digits of detail. Now, definitely that's a German, a German situation and, and, and a unique problem for them to have that much detail. But what they were able to do with it is really re really look at the way we classify occupations. Um, most industries, most uh, re- uh, countries use four or five occupation classes in classifying their disability rates. They were able to see that, hey, those occupation costs are very wrong in a lot of cases, driven by market pressures and all that. They were able to say, well, let's, if we had to redesign an occupation class system that looks at just the risk, they were able to split it into 10, based on all that uh, analysis that they've done. And that allows one to be much more clear in your pricing, yes, but also in your marketing. You might not want to have the occupation clause. You might want want to stick with your A, B, C, D, or whatever your current one is. But the idea is to really understand where the customers are and where the good good pockets are and the bad pockets in terms of risk. And they were able to do that based on occupations. So that's the kind of stuff that I've been mainly involved in. I've been also involved in mortality analyses and lapse analyses in in our local market. We've looked at um, just expanding it a bit further, not just looking at age, gender, um, duration, and smoking status, I'm really looking at, well, let's look at all the variables that you have. Let's see what, what comes out of that. What other variables are predictable at the risk or correlated with the risk, and let's find out why they are and see if we can use those to our advantage or not, and how we're going to use them. And not just in pricing and in underwriting and, in, and, in, 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 um, and in, in marketing as well, because you, know, you can decide where you want to sell sometimes. So I'm going to just kind of summarize now a bit. Um, This is also from the McKinsey report. I have sort of the main points are from there. I kind of made it relevant to life insurance. Um, Big data has a couple of impacts. One is creating transparency. Now it creates external transparency, which is not always that comfortable if price aggregators know your every price. But internally it creates transparency because you can start to, if you you have data on a process, you can start to analyze, you can start to improve it, you can start to find the mistakes and the the broad bottlenecks in there. It enables experimentation, this I've covered already, it allows like segmentation. I think with this customer-centric focus that everybody's having at the moment, we think you know, that is one of the key advantages for life insurance it really to allows you to understand the customer, understand what, what they want, when they're going to buy, when they're going to lapse, and all those factors that affect our business in, in such, a, such a critical way. Um, It also, uh, this is kind of of like a big brother replacing human decision making, but it does allow you to automate your decision making process to the extent that it is possible to make things more efficient. And then all of this, of course, drives innovation, and we think it's going to continue to drive innovation um, going forward. Just taking a step and applying it to South Africa a bit. I think the life insurance industry in South Africa used to be at the cutting edge, the first computer in South Africa was installed probably in this building. I'm not sure if it was this building, literally, but you can probably go and see it upstairs. I think there's some of them are still upstairs yet. That's you know that's where we were at the cutting edge. We were doing data analytics um, and and all that stuff. You know, as good as you could do it back then. But we we way behind now. We're not we not cutting edge anymore. So we've lost a lot of ground. There. So I think this is a kind of a call to challenge us to sort of you know pick up the pace again because we've lost track of the data that we're looking at. As actuaries, I think it's also going to be very important for us, uh, as in terms of a, a as a career path going forward. I think um, this is McKinsey identifying a massive uh, skills gap in a couple of years' time, in terms of the number of people that need to be able to do data analytics and the number of people out there that are able to be to do it. they um, reckoning about 140 to 190,000 um, skill shortage in this data analytic environment. And what I like, what I, I mean. We could fill this with statisticians, but I think actuaries have a unique skill set to contribute to this to this skills gap. We have both the mathematical statistic, the, the sort of technical background, but we also have the business sense. I've spoken to people, and they told me, "Yeah, but I have these people doing models for us, but they don't know which models to do. They don't know where to focus." And actuaries have the skill to say, "Well, we need to focus on that kind of model. That's the key." Success factor for your business. This is the thing that's going to drive your cash flows going forward. We need to focus on that, and this, this is the unique skill set that we bring to it. And I think that's kind of why we have this wider fields forum, and, and this is kind of why we are here to really explore this new new career path, for actuaries and how we can uh, how we can sort of skill up for that. So that's pretty much it from me. I think I kept to my time. I hope I didn't talk too fast. Um, um, but I think for me, this is this is kind of a quote. It's kind of a challenge. I think um, I'll add something to it. I'll give you a chance to read it. We need to really use our data effectively. And In this case, he says not just our own, but if we just did our own already, that's already a big step for improvement for insurance companies because we're not using our own data very effectively. Um, but if we use all the data that's relevant and available, we will do well. The, 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 ch- the, the bit I want to add on is that if we don't do it, somebody else is going to do it, and, and we will be left in the dust, much like the taxi industry has been left in the dust quite recently, and you know, all those new disruptions that are coming out, we will be disrupted if we, if we, if we don't do anything about this. That's it for me. I think we'll do questions at the end. We'll do questions at the end.
0: working. Thank you, Louis. That was really interesting. Um, I always get excited by the possibilities that um, we actually have going forward. The the one thing that I find interesting, though, is that, I mean, how many of you have a Fitbit or equivalent device? A few. A few. Now, something that's quite interesting that I'm not sure if you're aware of is that your data isn't protected. So yes, they won't be able to say, well, this Fitbit links to Mauritius But the data is out there and someone could be analysing it. And I think with regulations around personal privacy of information being more and more um, considered by governments and by, by organisations, it's something for us, us to consider. Also just in our own organisations as to what actually is allowable and where do we find a um, the grey ground and at what point are we starting to see lawsuits? I'm doing quite an interesting project for one of my clients where they're trying to achieve what they call the holy grail of the 360 degree view of the customer. Isn't that inspirational? It's about getting all the data that they have within their various um, bits of their business together, sticking all the different bits of information together, taking um, your broader social media sentiment analytics information, sticking that in there, getting information about browser history, about what stuff they buy, and then they're going to use this in order to try and estimate how their clients are going to behave, what's the likelihood of them churning, what's the likelihood of them wanting different products, and how do do you leverage the possibility of um, interactions between industries. So we've already seen banking and insurance. What about telcos? What about consumer business? Putting it all together, I think, creates a very, very, very interesting road for us ahead. But to bring us one level down, so often often what we find is that people are very excited by um, the possibilities of what we can do with data, sentiment analytics, predicting um, the likelihood of your product not being successful through Twitter feeds and Facebook and so forth. And that is really focusing on this really, really top edge of the pyramid. But often what happens is the data management part, which is the basics, that very loved ERP systems that most of us have in, in organizations is where a lot of the challenges come. And without having an effective data management system, process and integration, you can't achieve business intelligence. And business intelligence is simply the interaction of taking your information and putting it in a visual format, allowing people to be able to understand these massive bits of information um, and understanding how it's likely to affect the next layer, which is your performance management. And then, of course, the interesting bits come. The interesting things that um, our clients often ask us about, or that we're trying to do for for ourselves, is the predictive stuff, the advanced analytics, where actuaries have tended to play in the past. Now, taking these items into account is, is great, but we also need to understand how it links to strategy and governance, technology and technology limitations the processes that it relates to and how it impacts people. Because without getting synergy between those four aspects, many analytics projects as well as broader projects looking at insights just don't take off. Now, analytics can be applied in any industry and across a number of domains. If we look at different industries, there tends to be quite a big focus on a particular domain. So as an example, financial analytics, um, the insurance industry has really focused on um, financial um, analytics um, in the past. And I think that's partly due to our our education um, actually has been involved in the process and linked to things like working capital, profitability, tax analytics, reporting and valuations. But if we look at other industries like customer analytics, we'd find that that tends to happen more in the retail space, where um, organisations would want to look at um, how best they price um, from a customer point of view and understanding how segmentation drives their customer base. Now an interesting thing that's happening within the food and beverage industry is changes around how customers may be approached. So the Department of Health is looking at some really interesting legislation which is going to limit the way in which foods may be um, marketed um, to children um, in terms of healthy foods and it's limited in terms of sodium content as well as sugar content. So if you think about it, um, a a restaurant group that likes um, having um, advertisements of you know, family running on the beach, everyone's happy and dancing and singing, all of a sudden, those type of campaigns will no longer be allowed. So understanding one's customers is key in order to ensure that um, the marketing approach that one takes, whether it's above the line or below the line, is actually um, appropriate. Supply chain analytics is, is an area where I think some organizations have, have started getting involved in it, But I think there's much to be done. I think from a a lot of the questions that have been been raised from a public public sector point of view around um, irregular activities from a procurement point of view, quite a bit of work is happening in that space. Workforce analytics is an interesting one. Because um, if we look at how South Africa is performing from a productivity point of view, we actually perform really badly. And every year we tend to drop lower and lower down from a productivity point of view. And this has massive implications from a return on investment point of view, delivery point of view, as well as as overall um, staff sentiment, which unfortunately affects the bottom line. Organizations that are looking at massive turnarounds, trying to identify where there are potential wastages within their business or where they could be more efficient Um, are starting to look at this in um, a lot more detail. For example, a lot of the mining houses have done a lot of work in this space. Then risk analytics, this is where a lot of fraud um, analytics has happened and I think this is where the insurance industry has done quite a bit of work. Um, In the healthcare space, we know a lot of work has been done from a a risk analysis point of view, whether it is to try and measure the effectiveness of um, um, managed care or whether it's from a fraud point of view. And then, of course, um, a broader area which is cross-functional, which looks at risk-based performance um, sustainability and so forth. I think that all these domains are relevant for any organization in any industry. Of course, some of them might gain more um, traction in a shorter period of time, but in order to be a fully integrated and, and fully data analytics driven organization, one would need to look at all of these. We conducted a survey to try and understand how insurance companies are relating to their data. And what we found is quite shocking is that only 17% of insurers that participated in our survey said that they had a complete information management strategy. Now, the information management strategy is the layer at the bottom. That's the part that results in rubbish in, rubbish out. Um, And then when we look at the rest, We see that 35% is currently under development, 36% um, says it's very piecemeal, and then 12% says there's no information strategy in place and we're not really thinking about it yet. We've We've got bigger problems to worry about. The problem with this is that it's resulting in a lot of confusion about data and information. Um, I've many times um, entered a meeting where we would be discussing something, whether it's um, a lapse rate or it would be customer numbers or whatever the case may be. And then the debate would occur where technology would put one number on the table and business would in their minds have a different number. And the problem with it is as soon as that occurs, the trust is broken in terms of believing the data, and they say, well, I mean, we can't even get the basic numbers right, so who cares, you know? Go back and sort your data out, and then three months later, we do exactly the same thing, and then there's a of discrepancy. So so the problem with it is with our trust in the data, um, it's very difficult for organisations to, to actually start moving forward and using the data for their advantage, but Most of these organizations who don't even have an information management strategy are fixated by the big data opportunities about um, looking at social media analytics, looking at net promoter scores, all of that fun stuff, but the basics aren't there. And until the information management strategy is better done and implemented in in a cohesive manner, it's very difficult to build on top of it. and the problem with it is is because of some of the challenges around fixing this um, without having um, thought through a very, very logical and effective way of implementing it, it can take very long, be very costly, and, and ultimately derail a number of um, larger projects, which means that data will never be used in an effective manner in that organization. I think I've touched on um, a few of these um, already, but I think um, what I would like to leave you with with today is that there is so much information out there that can be used. I think that even if we start taking baby steps to using it, and not necessarily. Looking at external data, but just starting with the information we have with, within our organisations, I think a lot of insights can be drawn. Some of the te- techniques that um, um, Louis spoke about is is fundamental in understanding causality, in understanding why things are happening happening in our business, and understanding how do we um, result in a change occurring by implementing certain certain actions. And I think. By, by taking a very thoughtful approach in terms of doing that, I do think that a, lo- um, a lot of value can, can be derived. But on that note, I'm going to show you a few, um, a few demos uh, of how analytics can be used. Now, talking about visualization, there are many, many tools available for visualization. The one I'm showing you now is um, Tableau, um, which has gotten quite a bit of um, traction uh, in the last few years. There are many others, such as ClickView, um, such as um, MicroStrategy, um, SAS Visual Analytics. There are many, many, many to choose from. I do believe though that visualization gives us the ability to digest a lot of data, a lot of complex data in a very, very short period of time. What I'm going to show you now is, um, is one of the tools that was created um, around the Affordable Cares Act. So this is, as in Laban's term, called Obamacare. And um, over a period of time, a number of Twitter feeds were, um, were basically um, analysed. And um, as we can see over here, they've been categorized into positive and negative sentiments. And we can see that most of them happening in the US um, and then um, some in in Europe. What we can then do is is look at what we refer to as word counts. So what the word count does is take all this Twitter information, which can sometimes be noise, and start categorizing it into some of the predominant words. Red, of course, being negative, being a negative sentiment, saying something not so good. Um, blue being positive, And the bigger it is, the more often someone said something about it. Um, down here, we can see the influence. So every person that made a comment has got an influence score. Um, this influence score could differ um, depending on, um, for example, what you would be looking at. As an example, is that um, if if this was a um, a website that was that was looking at um, promoting food stuff, and they really wanted to get a number of people who believe Banting is the right way to go, um, they would then have Tim Noakes saying, you know, go to the store. We have all the Banting stuff you need. Best prices. Please go there. But if, for example, Tim Noakes had to say something about a car brand, people might not be that interested. So, so his influence score would be much lower in that case. So it's important to link the, um, the information to the relevance of what you're looking at it. Then of course, associated keywords and how that differs over time. Now, um, taking this into account, it can be a lot of information to digest, but as soon as we start um, looking at the information, so let's say, let's pick on data science, um, we can then see, first of all, it's a positive sentiment, which is good. Um, we can then have a look and see, oopsie, sorry for that. We can then have a look and see when that occurred, where the peaks were, and of the people who tweeted about it, um, what was their, their level of influence. So we can see, um, you know, there's one person with a 10 influence and, and so forth. We can then also have a look. At what the associated words are with it. For example, um, cool. I don't quite know why data science would be cool, but it is regarded as one of the top jobs. So, um, And then we can see that, you know, where the guys thought um, data science was of interest linking to this topic, where they actually spread. Um, so basically across the US, uh, in, in Europe, um, and in Asia. Um, what we can then do is Taking this into account, we can say, well, this is very interesting, but you know, if I just look at the guys with highest levels of influence, what did they say? And Looking at this, we can see that they're mostly in the US, specifically on the East Coast, and when they said it and what their level of, um, you know, what the, the associated words are. Taking these things into account can become really interesting, um, no matter what industry you're in. Because um, if you launch a new product um, or uh, make a change in terms of some of your products, you can then start looking how this information links to to how your clients are perceiving it. Or um, linking this to your call centre data also brings a lot of insights. And to do this probably took someone two days to do So it's very, very quick and simple ways in order to digest quite complex data. What I'd now like to show you is another demo, which does require the internet. So let's hope um, it it works. So in this example, what I'd like to demonstrate is um, how something as simple as um, to blow can be used in order to digest quite complex information, and lots of it in a meaningful way. But this is using a slightly different platform. Um, What what this is, is um, to show risk um, associated with weather patterns. So what occurred is a hurricane hit the east coast. Of the U.S. As you can see this is the little red arrows over here showing the path of the hurricane with this being um, the the most concentrated um, area that it was going to hit as well as then showing the path moving um, moving up the coast. The reason why this could be quite interesting is that from a visualization point of view we can, we can now use data from a real-time perspective in order to see How this hurricane is going to move? How can I use various bits of information, whether it's Twitter feeds in order to get an update? How do I I understand what it's going to likely to impact from if I'm um, in the general insurance space? How is it going to impact property damage and so forth? In this particular example, we could then see different facilities. So each facility has a different colour. We can see, for example, this... The light blue ones, these ones over here are um, the um, project office. Um, We then have um, speciality offices um, and so forth. Based on this, we can then see um, the total number of employees, the total number of facilities, as well as the value at risk sitting at uh, 679,000 US dollars. This exchange rate, it's not looking too good. So what we can then do is say, well, if we just want to concentrate on, um, on the project office, we can then see there's quite a bit of a concentration um, in this area here, with quite a few of them um, being five or six actually being in the, in the hardest hit um, range. Taking this into account, we can then say, OK, well, um, for these particular ones, it has roughly $150,000 knock. Alternatively, um, taking this into account, we can say, well, you know, this is all really interesting, but if I just want to concentrate on a very, very small section, let me try and do this, um, on a very, very small section, let's say this one here, which are the facilities that are likely to be, be impacted and what is my value at risk? So it's a very easy way to digest information on a real-time basis in order to, for example, help this um, organisation know the likely impact in terms of their employees. In this case, these individuals will result in about 22,000 possibly injured um, and then their value um, at risk being being quite high at 269,000. The, the other interesting things that we can then also do is to say, well, taking these facilities and, and showing them, this is where the, the internet is um, being slightly tricky, Okay, so we can then click on a facility and each one of these would give us information um, regarding, regarding the facility. Unfortunately, um, it seems as though uh, my internet is a bit low at the moment um, and it's not allowing me to open it. Um, but basically what it would allow you to do is on this little icon over here, you would be able to link into a webcam to be able to see what's happening on the ground there. Um, here you would be able to analyze the Twitter feeds that would then link into your, your sentiment um, analytics to be able to see what's happening on the ground. Um, and then you would have contact information. But one of the, the really, really interesting bits of this is that we'd be able to implement um, a projection in terms of based on where all the cars are and the traffic flows as well as the weather patterns, what the best evacuation route would be in order to limit casualties as well as um, to ensure that, um, uh, that you can remove as much congestion off the roads as possible. I, I don't think it's going to work, I'm really sorry, but uh, such is technology. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned, you, you can't always rely on these things. Um, but hopefully this will give you a sense of some of the stuff that, that is possible. I think the, the most important message I can leave with you today is that there's a lot of data, there's a lot of really interesting and um, innovative ways in which we can lo- look at it. But sometimes I think we get distracted by the um, almost the sexiness of big data, of a lot of the um, really really abstract and um, unstructured data. But if we just focus at the information on the information we have within our business and just look at how we could link different sets of data and getting different departments to work together, I believe that organisations would be able to manage their risk a lot better, potentially identify um, innovation by identifying those white spaces, and be more effective, both from a revenue upliftment as well as from a cost containment point of view. Thank you very much.
1: Do you want to come join? Any questions?
2: Science and big data in general it's very important for insurers and plenty of other fields that actually are involved in. Um, but what I'm uncertain about is what role actuaries should play in this. Uh, at least in my mind, if I think about an actuary, I don't think that we're at the top of the range of professionals with deep analytical skills. I think. Uh, so the question is, should we be trying to market ourselves as kind of data scientists, or should we really just be saying we need to be able to work with data scientists? Uh, what do you think the balance Well,
1: I, I think we both can answer that. I think I think it's a bit of both. I think we do have a lot of deep analytical skills. I mean, the mortality investigation, and understanding mortality rates, understanding the rates. There is a Essentially, a deep analytical problem. It's, it, is, it is a common problem. I don't think we have all the uh, exotic skills that are some of the listed, listed skills that are, I don't think we have all of those. But if that is your field, as an actuary, you would probably get yourself knowledgeable in most of those. But I do also think we can take a step back and work with others who are more skilled than us specific That's why.
0: So um, I've been in the advanced analytics field now, probably for the last five years, and um, without exaggeration, I think for pretty much four years, I felt like the dumbest person in the room, Um, working with a number of um, professionals who made a life of doing advanced analytics. A lot of the statistical techniques... Um, that um, Louis showed and there there are a few others um, are beyond our current training and um, it requires a lot of upskilling. One of the other challenges is besides the methodologies and approach in order to understand it, you also need to understand how those different data sets fit together. Um, Otherwise, it's rubbish in, rubbish out. So understanding data management and broader um, technology-related aspects such as how ETLs work, your you know, your advantage of different advantages of different stacks, so you know, Hadoop layers and Clyderia and whatever the other case may be, you know, that you want to look at, having a broader understanding of that is very useful in order to be effective. Um, so I mean in many instances, just getting the information out can be a challenge. And being able to, to hold a conversation with some of the more technology-advanced individuals, it's, it's important to, to know more or less what they're saying. Um, so for me personally, it's been an incredibly steep learning curve, I mean, often when, when looking at some of those techniques, um, some of them don't quite give you the results you need. So um, until about two years ago, um, generalised linear model was my favourite but my new favourite is a random forest, and, and who knows what my next favourite will be.
3: So more more comments, so maybe add on to that question, so I've been involved for a few years now in uh, International Actual Association work around with the Actual of the Future, and we clearly identified the whole data area as something which, which is going to be important for actors in the future to the extent that the, the cover we'll be doing on the sort of syllabus for all actually will probably include a lot more data um, type stuff and in including some of the statistical techniques that we're talking about, as well as understanding some of the systems on which data is stored. I think just, just one, one comment as well, sort of answering the, or content on the previous question as well and some of the things as well. I think one of the things we do actually can in is the fact that we are you did mention that professionals, but I think professional the actual professional aspect of being involved in data is very important. So, we would like to think that actors do have a professional, ethical angle to them, and I think data brings up, as you referred, a lot of professional, ethical issues as well. Yeah. And I think it's going to be very important that actors can be seen as people doing the right thing, and sometimes that's going to be quite bit in the data field. I think that's going to, yeah. in addition to having the statistical and the business insight, I think that's going to be very important. And I think that's yeah. in a way why we see the the data as, as sort of increased content in in, in the new actual so.
1: Yeah, we it at a unique crossroads right? in between the technical and the financial and the professional, yeah. and that's going to be our that has to be our competitive advantage in this space in terms of.
0: I think I think we've started to make quite um, quite a bit of traction. So a number of um, organisations, even outside of the industries that we normally work in, are requesting that actuaries come in and do their data analytics for them. And the reason is, is because of of our professional association, because of the fact that they know that um, we will. You know, be bound by our professional standard, and that we won't tell them we can do something that we can't, and uh, that linked to the fact that there isn't any real certification for data analytics at the moment. So, um, brings a lot of challenges. I mean, some of the technology providers do have some kind of certification that you've you've done something, but it doesn't necessarily relate to being able to answer the question. So what? Anyone can do analytics, you know. But taking that answer and doing something meaningful with it is where I believe actuaries are able to make a massive massive impact. Thank you for that. Any other questions or comments?
2: Actually, how do you defined this? It, because obviously what you're talking about is not a wider field, potentially. So where's that crossroads when it gets into Wider fields. I mean, how big must the data be or what must you be doing with the data? And the follow-up question is, who are the players in those wider fields from an actual point of view? You know? Are they small firms? Are they individuals? Are they inside the big audit firms? So the first question is really, have you given some thought as what is the wider field part of this? Because we all do data analysis, you know, at, at some level. And then who are the big players or who are the players in the moment?
0: So, I think um, as, a, as a committee, we've, um, we've been debating this for quite some time because um, there's a very fine line between what is wider fields, what is business intelligence, what falls into the traditional fields and what falls outside of the traditional fields. Um, for now, I think we've been concentrating on areas outside of the traditional fields but in a very recent um, uh, committee meeting, we, we actually had a debate about within the traditional fields. If you start doing stuff that isn't within the traditional domain of what actuaries do, does that fall into the wider field space? So we don't quite have an answer. I think what we are looking at doing is is exploring the opportunities and just. Almost giving actuaries the opportunity to think about doing things slightly differently, or applying their minds into, you know, in terms of how they can look at sources outside of the ones that they've just been working with in the past. Then to your second question, in terms of the firms, I think it's I think it depends. I think there are a lot of um, independent consultants that are working in um, working as actuaries. Some of them are not fully qualified actors, um, which does pose some challenges, um, which from a professional point of view would have to try try and manage. Um, But I think that a lot of the audit firms have a big focus on it, but some of the the boutique firms as well. But I think even your larger um, insurance organisations are starting to think about how they use information that they have in their position to give them a competitive edge. And if they're not using it, um, how can they best do it? And what other external data do they use in order to to beat their competitors? And I mean as Louis being from a general insurance background, I mean they're doing a lot of this work. So I think I think it's I think it just depends on the individuals within the organisations, but I think given the hype that big data has gotten over the last few years, a lot of executives, irrespective of the organisations that they are, starting to question how big data can help them. Do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot. Some of it is definitely reorganising things under a different way, changing the heading. But I do think there's a general strategic shift in people realising the value of their data and, and sort of really um, focusing on that and reorganising things along those lines. So some of it is work that we all do today, we look at past stuff and project it into the future and make some adjustments and that sort of thing. So that is what we do. But a lot of it is just a, a, a change in focus. I think some of the wide fields potentially for me would be outside like of the traditional working areas or like Analyzing the retail chain's distribution or whatever what you do with the retail chain. That might be something else to work. But I do think some of it is reorganized. And my If I was a judge, I'd say that we need a core competency around data and data analytics. That's Mm -hmm. my personal view. I don't know know how you fit that in. But the work I've been involved in is around the groundwork, it's around fixing data first, understanding where it's coming from, just figuring it out. And that we need is a core competency. Because a lot of people are analyzing data without looking at the groundwork. And that's when you have been a lot of trouble.
0: And I think, I mean, it's also, I mean, the industries that we go into, it's important to understand the dynamics of that industry. So just walking into a telco and trying to advise them very, dangerous if, if one doesn't understand um, the fundamentals uh, from a regulatory point of view, from how they operate, from the, um, you know, the, the basis on how they do business. Um, it can be it can be incredibly dangerous, and I think that um, in the same way that we you know we we have our training around um, the traditional fields, I think that gives us the grounding in order to to be able to operate in those traditional fields. But as soon as we move out of them, it's important that we um, you know, we gain that knowledge or else work with people that do have that knowledge. Um, I think we had a question
3: at okay. the first then. Okay. So my question is, we get enough data from, so we trouble most of the time uh, about data from outside Africa, like in Europe, that's where we get most of the data. Mm-hmm. We get enough data in Africa, and the second question is, is the data enough for us? Is actually to make informed decision like uh, mortality rates, to in Africa, it's enough?
1: those kind of things. From a from a research perspective, I would say no, we don't have enough data in Africa. I think I think the 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 what we need to be doing there is laying the groundwork so that the systems that are out there are going to capture it. I think um, they, we I know always want more data. There, there is data, there is data. Use it's just a matter of generating the
2: communication. I mean, more. That's that's kind of my view. Sorry, I mean, it's really just a comment. I've, uh, I'm, I'm not in this field, but I've had to do with a few, and some of the most impressive guys that I've met started off in an actuarial direction and then realized that look, I'm actually more into statistics. I love machine learning and, and they deviate it. So I think if, if you start this conversation about talking about actuaries in big data, you've already gone up the path of becoming an actuary. That is an insurance business professional who's, who's actually gone beyond just the technical aspects and moved into a lot of business aspects. And the guys who really want to focus on this stuff, they're not interested in those further studies that require you to become an actuary. So the idea that you should take an actuaries and just transplant them into data I think is wrong. Um, and I think that the society has recognised <clears throat> already that this value in the technical training that that, that we receive, um, and that that itself can be an end in, in itself, and then from there you can, you, know, you can go in various directions. And I think that's right. That it shouldn't just be you know the idea that qualified actors, fellows you know have have, have the value but they naturally deviate um, from that point. So <clears throat> I think it's more a case of keeping the bonds between. Um, those who start in that direction, and and, and society, and and, and and us as professionals.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's there's room for lots of different people to get involved in actually uh, to, to boost the diverse the crowd for
0: the crowd, often I think. There's more work to be done than we have professionals, um, and I think that I mean I mean if we just look at the fact that um, the if you take the new, um, new SKA you know, in the initiative, they say that there's too much data, that they, and they don't have enough data scientists in South Africa. They're going to send the data offshore to get it analysed in Europe. Now that's just sad. Um, so I think um, we need to ensure that we give actuaries options. And I think the advanced analytics or wider fields area is, is just an option. Of, of a field that they can play in, but they need to be cautious. Um, it's just because you're an actor doesn't mean you can you can work in those broader broader areas. You need to have the basics in place. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, appreciate the wonderful turnout. Um, thank you, Louis, um, for your thank presentation. You. Um, if you haven't gotten enough of us, we're presenting again on Wednesday in, Cape, I mean, in Johannesburg at Old Mutual, um, but please tell your, your colleagues if, you, um, if they are in Jo'burg and they are interested please come support us. But um, thank you very much and um, we are always looking for new members of our committee, so if you are interested, please, please, please just drop me a mail and um, we'll make sure that you become part of the committee. Thank you so much. Gracias.